I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. I'm Kim Singletary, editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine, and this week we're going to talk about a form of healthcare you don't typically hear much about, but it affects more than 1.4 million people in the U.S. alone. I'm joined today by Dr. Matthew Wetchler, the CEO and co-founder of Plume, the first digital health startup for the transgender community. A Stanford University-trained emergency physician, Dr. Wetchler also holds a Master's of Public Health from the University of North Carolina with a focus on technology, new models of healthcare, and entrepreneurship. He spent the last seven years in Silicon Valley and ran a consulting service connecting health startups with the clinical environment. Dr. Wetchler co-founded Plume in December of 2019 with his best friend from medical school, Dr. Jerrica Kirkley, an expert in gender-affirming care and a transgender woman herself. After raising initial funding, they have grown quickly and now are available to nearly 90% of the transgender community in the US. On December 14th, the Denver-based startup announced its entrance into Louisiana. Dr. Wetchler, so honored to have you on BizTax. Excited to talk to you about this new offering. Oh, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so what inspired you to create Plume? Um, you know, Jarek and I uh, have been, again, best friends for nearly 15 years from our early days in medical school. And one of the things that we connected on is a recognition that uh, medicine had stopped serving its key stakeholders um, in what we call the sacred dyad between patients and providers or clinicians. And, you know, my, uh, my condition took me to the Masters of Public Health and then a, really a belief in entrepreneurship as a way of addressing that. And um, Jerrica, you know, focused her career on ensuring the most vulnerable populations had access to the best care. And, and what we found along the way is that the way that the system is structured kept making it difficult for um, clinicians to spend the time and care that they wanted to, to have the connections that they wanted to with patients, and also for patients to have access uh, to the care that they deserve, especially in vulnerable communities. And so. Um, it was really a combination of my experience um, in the Bay Area, as well as Jerrica's experience being um, a longtime, you know, expert in gender-affirming care to realize that this could be something extremely valuable, um, not just in providing a moderate um, lease and convenience, but something that was fundamentally different on levels of quality, access, and safety. So for those people who don't know, um, what what are the healthcare needs specifically for the transgender community? So you talk about gender affirming hormone therapy. Can you explain that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, you know, this idea of gender affirmation, you know, um, sometimes when people hear about the transgender community, they may think about um, uh, trans, um, someone that was sex assigned birth as, as a man and then um, comes out as a transgender woman and then uses surgery or um, 
you know, medical, uh, medical interventions such as hormones to change their external expression. Um, and, you know, for this difference between the sex assigned to birth and the internal experience of gender or gender identity, when, when those two align, it's called being cisgender, um, and which is what, uh, you know, you and I experience with our gender. Um, and, then, uh, and then to those where they differ, that's called being transgender. And so um, some old way of speaking about um, hormone therapy is um, it'd be like gender reassignment therapy or, you know, something along those lines. But um, the, more, uh, the more inclusive way to speak about it is using the words of affirmation. So gender affirmation and really using clinical tactics to help people's external expression of their gender align with their internal experience and their identity. Now, hormone therapy is um, one of the core desired clinical treatments for the transgender community. Now, not all transgender people want or desire hormone therapy, but most do, nearly 80%. Um, now, of that 80%, 50% have found a way to access hormone therapy in some way, and 30% are actively looking. Still, despite it, be such, despite it being such a common need in the transgender community, as well as having extremely well-established clinical guidelines and being proven to be exceptionally safe, as safe as taking birth control, for example. It's virtually the same, the same um, chemicals. Um, it is extremely difficult to access in the current healthcare system. So is this something that typically goes along with some sort of surgery too, or is this just, is it just more of the medications? Right. That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, surgery is personal choice. It's not, and I think that's something important to take away. Um, the, the goal is to support people um, feeling that their external expression aligns meaningfully with their um, internal identity to a degree that's useful for them. That's um, in ideally alleviating any, um, you know, dysphoria they may feel. Um, uh, that being said, not everybody desires surgery, and, and it, it really comes down to personal choice. Um, again, just whatever people feel that um, personally are necessary to have their gender affirmed. And so I'd say that percentage-wise, um, you know, um, at least about 40% of the community desires or has accessed what is called top surgery. And then um, a minority, maybe probably 10 to 20% desire access uh, bottom surgery. Um, however, something to keep in mind is those numbers are in a landscape um, where accessing those surgeries are, is, can be extremely difficult and challenging. Yeah, and, and very pricey, I'm assuming too. Absolutely. And that, so, are, so are these things typically covered by insurance? It's a great, um, also a great question. And to kind of get into the answer that, I'd like to separate a few core ideas. Um, there is coverage or the ability to access insurance that might pay for these things. Then there's um, access to a, a clinician that is familiar with this type of care. And then finally, experience. Like, what is the what is the experience of actually going into a clinic and and seeing a doctor? And 
Um, something to keep in mind is that with, with all that we're talking about, um, any, any type of healthcare that happens in a physical environment or what we call brick and mortar setting comes with um, a very real sense of risk um, for the trans community. Uh, that there's a, there's a vulnerability that comes from entering unfamiliar physical spaces. And so despite where one goes to seek therapy, that is, that is always there, that sense of physical risk. Um, now, at a federal level, there's been a lot of movement to try to ensure that core gender affirming therapy is covered. Um, at a state level, it's very uh, heterogeneous. So maybe, I think it's... Uh, about 15 to 20 states uh, provide uh, some state level protection or insurance that uh, gender affirming therapy is covered, um, especially with uh, when we talking about hormones uh, in specific. Um, but the rest, there there is no such coverage or um, no such mandate. Um, surgery is a bit more um, touch and go. Uh, it can be very difficult to find plans that consistently cover gender affirming surgery. Um, now, in reality, um, trans people have frequent challenges, even with plans that supposedly cover hormone therapy, they're often um, denied and then need to go through an appeals process. And so there can be a lot of friction and discomfort in that whole process. Um, and then even more so, uh, a lot of this has to do with navigating a whole host of individuals that may or may not be familiar with the trans experience. So for example, with Plume, nearly 50% of um, members actually have insurance that provides coverage for gender-affirming hormone therapy, yet they, they choose to um, do a cash-only membership with Plume. Okay, and that's because of those challenges that you were talking about. Right, it's, it's generally the, the friction with the system as it is right now. Um, it can be very difficult. So even if you have coverage, it can be very difficult to find a local clinician. Um, now, uh, you know, in Louisiana, for example, there's some amazing, uh, there's, you know, amazing providers, amazing programs that are uh, doing a lot of the work in, um, in the state trying, uh, covering for the transgender community. And when we come into a new state, we really see ourselves as just one part of that already very robust ecosystem. Now, not everybody um, might live, not everybody will live close to one of these clinics. Uh, and so the drive can be really difficult and often great clinics get a great reputation become very crowded. And so the wait list can be quite long. And, um, and that's sort of where we can be um, another answer. Uh, it, you know, you can access immediately. Our, our waits are usually just a few days to see a clinician that's an expert in this type of care. And also, uh, you don't have to drive to use your phone, and so you can basically uh, see see a um, a gender affirming expert in uh, from the comfort of your home. So, what is the process like? Is this something that if people are doing this the gender affirming hormone therapy, is it something that they start and they continue throughout their life, or is there is there kind of an endpoint? Or um, that's a great question. Yeah. So for um, Gender-affirming hormone therapy, it's usually a pill. Um, it's a medication taken daily for life. It can be a pill or an injection. Um, and, you know, uh, usually the, the guideline recommendations is, uh, you know, despite what surgeries somebody might 
um, decide to get or, uh, or not or opt out of. Um, taking hormones uh, continuously is, is best, not just for, to facilitate your expression of gender, but also things like bone health. And so guidelines recommend actually that um, people stay on hormones mostly for life. Is there, is, is, I'm curious on my own, is, is it more difficult or hormone wise to go from male to female or female to male? Or is there, like, what are the differences there? Yeah, you know, I'd say that um, we can just talk about, I would say difficulty is not necessarily something that varies. Um, you know, it just involves different medications. Um, we, um, in, and I would just also like to maybe resurface this idea of, um, you know, our paradigm where we look to affirm gender and gender expression. And that might not necessarily be um, trying to um, pass as a cis male or path as a cis woman, it, it can be just, um, in one way you could think about it as feminizing or masculinizing therapy, but we, we actually just think about it as, what is your therapy based on? There's those that use testosterone um, for their gender affirmation, there's those that use estrogen-based therapy for their gender affirmation. But, you know, I think what's, um, you know, what's shared, uh, what's shared with all people seeking gender affirming hormone therapy is just um, the existing landscape um, of ways that you can access hormone therapy. And so uh, there's sort of three places that people can uh, get the care that they, the care that they desire and, and care that they deserve. The first is your LGBTQ plus clinic, you know, or uh, a clinic that focuses specifically on the queer community. Now this is the most ideal situation. Um, now the challenge is often these clinics exist mostly in major, major market cities or larger cities. Um, and because they do such a great job caring for that community, they can often be quite crowded. And so the, the wait times can be longer. Um, you know, and then you can look at local clinics or, or a general clinic. Now, uh, while there might be lower wait times, what you look at there, well, the risk is that, um, People may not be familiar with the trans experience, and so you have the greeter, the front desk person, the, the person taking the labs, you know, um, the nurse taking blood pressure, and uh, and then finally the clinician, and then the same all the way when you when you go back out the clinic, and somewhere in that chain might be somebody that um, just doesn't have a lot of familiarity, and um, and that can lead to it sometimes um, you know an uncomfortable experience or an awkward awkward experience. But unfortunately, many times it actually leads to an outright dangerous or um, discriminatory experience. So one in three trans people in a clinical environment are actively discriminated against. Wow. And then, then once you actually do see a clinician, um, there's no formal, there's no real formal curricula in most medical schools to train clinicians on how to do um, or how to deliver gender-affirming hormone therapy. And so it's highly likely that the clinician that someone is meeting doesn't necessarily have um, knowledge on how to do this um, therapy in alignment with guidelines. In fact, 50% uh, of all trans people report training their doctor how to care for them. Oh, wow. And, and so then finally, um, what you have is the, uh, the black market. And so um, up to 30% of trans people in an urban environment actually um, purchase their hormones from the black market. And this could be 
online pharmacies or or literally from um, you know the streets. Um, and with that, you know, access to the medicines can be intermittent. Um, you know, online pharmacies can run out of stock, and so for a month at a time. And also, you you can't be assured the quality. And then finally, there's no. Um, it can be difficult to translate what one's personal desire is as far as gender affirmation to, um, you know, the appropriate dosage and cadence of medications to, to get that outcome. So, and so you have a team outside of just um, helping people find doctors that are, are familiar with all of this too. Is that what, does your team also help with kind of the, the, I guess kind of, you know, like, literally guiding people like emotionally and is that mm -hmm. kind of a part of it too right you know um so the core experience at plume is you can come to our website and uh, download our hipaa compliant app uh, take about 15 minutes to fill out some basic um, clinical information and then schedule an appointment with one of our clinicians um, Again, most of our clinicians in, in the majority of states have availability within two to three days. Um, often, and just to put this in context, many times the waits can be three to six months uh, to access a clinician with this type of expertise. Now, additionally, a majority of our clinical team, we now have over um, nearing 30 clinicians, um, around 80% are, are trans themselves. And so actually have deep personal experience with the trans journey, as well as being experts in gender-affirming hormone therapy. Once you see one of our clinicians, they'll help you, um, they'll work with you to create a custom um, plan and then uh, write the prescriptions. And now uh, what we do is we facilitate quarterly lab testing, which is based on national guidelines and um, at any time, if one of our patients has any questions, they can just text their care team. You don't have to schedule an appointment to talk to a clinician. And that, uh, that level of connectivity and that immediacy of access allows us to be supportive in a way um, that, you know, um, many traditional healthcare settings have a difficulty in doing. Um, you know, in as far as what type of support we're providing, um, we have a vision of, you know, bringing value and trying to support um, the trans journey in any way that's meaningful. And so uh, obviously a big part of that is the emotional experience. Now, it's not because um, being trans itself uh, can be, is, is emotionally distressing. Uh, it's more that, um, if one comes out as trans, that's a, that's a big life moment. Um, much like moving or getting a job, you know, and um, it can involve a lot of, um, it can involve a lot of um, changes in one's personal life. Um, and additionally, um, you know, the trans journey comes with, unfortunately, a lot of trauma, um, mostly from the external world. And, and so uh, we want to build up more robust services around that, but what we do do is uh, we have our team of care coordinators that um, do their best to help people find local personal resources that are relevant uh, to their needs if it's something that we at Bloom cannot yet address. 
So how did you find your team? And, and do you have, is, um, and how many states are you in right now? Mm -hmm. So we're currently available in 24 states. Um, and that gives us um, essentially coverage of nearly 90% of the transgender community. And so, you know, um, not all states have the same number of transgender people. Um, and so, and we've been able to do that within, within one year. Um, as far as our, our clinical team and our, our business team, you know, we've um, made, made um, really intentional efforts to create relationships with different communities that allow us to recruit and hire people that have deep personal experience, um, both with the transgender community as well as um, other historical minorities, specifically the BIPOC community. Um, that's something that we feel is extremely important and we try to build our teams to, to include those that have lived experience. Um, so what, what's, what created the decision to come to Louisiana? You know, um, we want to be uh, available wherever any trans people are seeking um, gender affirming services. And so, you know, um, you know, Louisiana is, um, like many states, has, um, you know, a, a network of amazing clinicians as well as programs that are supporting the trans community. But um, many times, um, commonly, you know, not all people can access those programs. And so um, coming to Louisiana is just a part of our mission of being able to uh, transform healthcare for every trans life. And so wherever there are trans people, we want to be there. Um, and, you know, a part of our community first model of um, getting the word out is, is working with and, and collaborating with people that have already been doing amazing, amazing work with the trans community in um, in local markets. And, you know, so for an example, like Dr. Uh, Tiffany Najberg, um, she's an amazing food provider from Louisiana, also runs a trans support site called uh, tgctransgenderchat.com. And, you know, she's one of the people that we're partnering with to get the word out to the local community. Um, also, there's just some amazing um, organizations that have been leaders in Louisiana. Um, and we're excited to partner with them. You know, House of Tulip, Louisiana Trans Advocates, Louisiana ACLU, Crescent Care, and the broader LGBTQ community. Um, and all these people, again, um, have been doing this work for much longer time than, than we've been around. And, and so uh, when we, we see ourselves standing on the shoulders of giants and also just, um, you know, at a, another uh, humble member of a, a broad community working hard to, to take care of, of the trans, um, trans people. And one of the things I saw on your website too, you guys do a letter writing service. How, what is that? Right, and so um, coming back to your questions around uh, gender, affirming, uh, gender affirming surgery, um, often to get coverage for gender affirming surgery, there's many logistical hoops that need to be jumped through by trans individuals. One of those is um, having a letter of support written by a clinician and often one to two letters of support written by behavioral health providers. Um, 
Often it can be difficult to find providers willing to write those letters, um, especially if they're unfamiliar with the trans experience or gender affirming care as a whole. And uh, we found that many, uh, many of our members were requesting this. And so we uh, made a, created a service that people that aren't necessarily members for ongoing gender affirming hormone therapy could speak with one of our um, clinicians that are, are familiar with gender affirming care and, and get one of these letters of support. So just another, another way to help um, ease the uh, experience of the legacy healthcare system for transgender folks. And then, so, so cost-wise, so the, the $99 a month is for, you know, all of your services, but that doesn't include the actual medications, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And so um, our membership currently includes, you know, 24-7 non-emergent access to our clinical team. And it requires, it includes the initial evaluation with uh, a gender-affirming care expert that is likely trans themselves. Uh, coming up with a, a custom plan, and then the ongoing lab monitoring. Um, and so the labs are included with the service. Um, as far as the cost of medications, those can range from about 10 to $20 a month most of the time. Um, we um, will often suggest resources such as GoodRx for those that are paying out of pocket, um, which brings the cost down. And there's also a way to use your insurance um, at a local pharmacy to have uh, your insurance cover for the uh, cover the medications. Um, also, we are starting to roll out a delivery service available in a few states. We hope um, to broaden that in this in the coming year. Um, and that again eliminates another touch point that can be uncomfortable for many trans people. Uh, going to a local pharmacy um, can be challenging. And so uh, the delivery service is something that will um, be at a comparable price to what you would pay at a local pharmacy, but delivered to your home. Um, now, this, how does this stand in comparison to what other options are out there? It's, it's very difficult to answer that question because there's so much variety in the costs of care across states and across different insurance programs. So just to highlight this complexity, um, every insurance plan will have a different rate of reimbursement with every clinical provider um, in every state. And so if you just imagine that multiplied out, we're talking of hundreds of thousands of different price points for this. Now, um, what we found is roughly, depending on where you're getting the care, um, the cost of the whole, whole cost of care can be uh, in a year between 2,500 and $4,500. Um, you know, Plume with just the membership is $1,200 a year, and plus the cost of medications is about $1,400 a year. Now, for those that have insurance, out-of-pocket costs can range between $500 to $1,700. And so even compared to those that have um, a, you know, uh, an ACA silver plan or what's a, a sort of a moderate plan of coverage, um, we're comparable to what would be paid in co-pays, um, despite having insurance coverage, and definitely uh, much more affordable than purely paying cash out of pocket. Now, um, you know, Planned Parenthood in many in many states is where people do seek um, uh, gender affirming care, and 
the prices that people experience at Planned Parenthood vary state to state quite a bit. But uh, we found that in a majority of states, we're at the very least um, nearly comparable in price and sometimes even more affordable. So you guys have only been around, like you said, for about a year. What, um, where do you go from here? Because you guys have moved really fast. If you're already covering close to 90% of the population, um, what's the next step? Absolutely. Um, you know, the next step is to continue to, um, to, continue to open um, in more states until we're in all 50 states. We want to be wherever we wherever there's a trans individual thinking about gender affirming services, we want to be there. And also, um, you know, we're looking at ways that we can expand our offerings to be more holistic in our support to the trans community. Uh, there are many aspects of the trans journey um, that um, are difficult to find support. Um, for example, just connecting with other trans people. Often, if especially if someone's in a, you know, in a outside of a major market city, when uh, when someone comes out as trans, they might be the only trans person they know. And just that uh, it's very exciting. It can be a really joyous moment, uh, but also, uh, you know, can feel quite isolating. And that's something that we can, uh, we feel like we can really support. Um, often, just the, the project of affirming one's gender, of all the touch points, all the document, the paperwork, the costs can be very complex. And just even logistical support uh, can be quite meaningful. And then moving into more formal um, emotional support on a clinical level is also something that we're very excited about. And so those are all things that we're looking at in the coming year um, as we move into 2021. So this year with COVID, has that kind of helped your numbers as far as, I mean, people, everybody's looking at telehealth now. And I've seen, you know, there's tons of ads about doing, um, mental health care over the phone or by Zoom or, or has this really kind of helped you guys um, as far as demand? Um, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, we had, uh, we had planned on being uh, completely virtual. So we are completely virtual. Um, everything can be done via the convenience of a smartphone. And our plans were to design, design a system that was completely virtual um, back when we had founded this. Um, now, the need for virtual care obviously increased with COVID. Um, it didn't really change how we had planned on offering, um, offering our services. And its effect in the long term, I think, creates a space where, um, you know, Plume is ultimately a, a service that's focused um, exclusively on a very specific population. And we're doing that across a broad geographic region. Now, many clinical services will uh, try to care for um, a broad, um, a broad uh, demographic um, variety in a narrow geographic region. So I wanna care, if you open a clinic, you try to care for everybody in the 30 mile radius of your clinic. For us, we're focusing exclusively on the trans community, but across the entire country. And that is made possible because of telehealth. Um, not, and so telehealth itself is, is just a medium, but the way that medium's leveraged allows us to have a completely um, different way of, of approaching care for this community in a way that can be focused and dedicated and, and I think give it the care that we believe it deserves. So I'm 
curious about the name too. How did you come up with Plume? Um, well, when Jerrica and I met, we were both wearing um, bowler hats with feathers in them. And so, no, just totally, I just made that up. Um, not, true, <laughs> not true at all. Um, no, so Plume, um, Plume is like the quill, the quill that you use to write your own story. And so at Plume, we celebrate the beauty of the individual narrative. And in Plume is also related to plumage, which is a way of proudly showing who you are and also a way that people find each other and connect with each other. And so it's sort of an acknowledgement of the community that we want Plume to be. That's awesome. Um, I, I wanted to ask you kind of a, a last question. Um, so you focused your, your master's in public health was on technology and new models of healthcare. What, looking at that industry, what do you see? Do you see that, do you see more offerings like, like what you guys are doing coming mm -hmm. down the pike? Right. You know, I think that what, what we're seeing is more um, with the, um, with an increasing uh, interest in uh, telehealth models or virtual care models or digital health models, um, what's allowing the healthcare system to do is start to focus on the types of patients that it's caring for. And so one form of focus has been on the, on the level of the medical condition. And so you're seeing specific surfaces that are using um, telehealth, asynchronous communication like texting and at-home monitoring to, to just dedicate all of their services to a single clinical need. So that could be um, like at-home monitoring for diabetes or, or um, you know, uh, asthma. That would be another example. Now, this is a, a great step forward because it allows for us to use data and systems design to create a lot of process efficiency and also get great, better clinical outcomes. Um, however, um, patients often have more than one clinical condition. Uh, and we also don't experience the world as a single clinical condition. We experience the world as, as people, as whole individuals. And so um, another way that we can start focusing healthcare is um, on people's lived experience or their identities or their cultures. And so, for example, you may start to see clinical services online that are focused around um, mothers-to-be or the, or the perinatal process, both you know, um, prenatal care, the, preg uh, the pregnancy experience itself, and then um, really the, uh, the, the post-birth um, experience. And then, so that would be an example of a clinical service now focusing in on a, a sort of um, a moment in life or a certain group of people and really tailoring everything around just those people's needs. Um, and that's what I find most compelling. And, and that's a bit behind what, um, what we're doing at Plume is using some of this um, emerging uh, interest in, in digital health and in telehealth to change how we can care for um, a population that is normally poorly served by um, you know, uh, the legacy system in many ways in those, in those clinics or uh, healthcare systems that don't have specific focus on this community. That's exciting. Well, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, what, where could people go to find out more about, uh, about Plume and what you guys do? 
Absolutely. Um, so anybody can visit us on our website at www.getplume.co. And, um, you know, lots of information there. You can also fo uh, follow us on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook at uh, GetPlume uh, is our handle. And uh, that's, those are great ways to kind of keep track of what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say again, thank you for taking the time um, and interest to, to hear about Plume. You know, we're very excited. Uh, we're very excited to come to the state and, and sort of join uh, arm in arm with many of the wonderful providers and institutions that have been uh, caring for this community for a long time. And, you know, uh, again, you mentioned early on that the, uh, the trans community is nearly 1.4 million. And uh, it's likely, that's likely just, um, just the, really the start of our understanding of the true extent of the trans community. You know, Generation Z is four times more likely to identify as trans as millennials or baby boomers. Uh, you know, the, trans, the estimate of the trans community has been growing nearly 20% every year over year, every time we do a new survey. And um, there's even uh, data to show that nearly 10% of people under the age of 35 don't identify as cisgender. And so um, we're really, we believe that um, we're at a moment where the trans community is, is really um, flourishing more and more out in the open and um, that services like these are, are just going to be so important and deserved. And uh, you know, we're, we're happy to be a part of it. Well, thank you for being part of that support and here in Louisiana as well. Um, I'm excited to hear about it. And it's, it's definitely a, a creative business model and something that I think, like you said, we're going to see more and more of. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, again, uh, getplume.co and getplume on all the social medias. And thank you, Dr. Wechsler. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at bizneworleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.